1: To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. At Navy Federal, their members are the mission.
0: Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender, membership required. Terms and conditions apply, loans subject to approval. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, So whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Holla talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well...
1: Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we're discussing starting a business with $0 with Alan Donegan.
0: Yeah, Joel, Alan Donegan is our guest today, and he is one of the co-founders of Pop-Up Business School, which is on a mission to change the way entrepreneurship is taught. They're getting folks to create their own sustainable startups by not taking on massive amounts of debt. When almost half of new businesses fail within their first five years, it's clear that this is the type of guidance that is needed today, especially given the uncertain times that we're living in. Alan's motto is, fail fast and fail cheap. <laughs> and through trial and error, he has built up his own business without ever having taken on any debt. And so, today, we're, we're going to dive into his story, as well as how you can start a business with $0. So, Alan, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Matt, Joel, I've
5: been looking forward to this.
1: Hey, we have two, Alan. We're really excited to get to chat with you today. And by the way, on every episode, Matt and I, we drink a craft beer because it's something that, that we love. And today we're drinking uh, a stout by one of my friends, John, who's got a little microbrewery called Little Cottage Brewing. And I'm really excited to have this one on the show today. But Alan, what is your craft beer equivalent? What's something you're willing to spend money on in the here and now while you're also trying to save and invest well for your future?
5: Actually, it's Lego uh lego really? is my craft beer
1: like i love the toy lego. legos the
5: toy yes don't judge me i'm a 41 year old okay. male that loves lego <laughs> no that's uh, awesome there's actually a term for what we are it's afol a- adult adult fan of lego and
1: Very i am a cool. huge fan
5: of that so i spend money on lego sets
1: Dude, that's awesome! I, like I love it. that. I love what kind of the outside of the box things that people bring to the table when they're passionate about something. And uh, I like when people are passionate about kind of things that that aren't uh, mainstream. So I dig your Lego addiction, man.
0: I don't know. I feel like Lego is pretty mainstream. Like in, in some of the malls, which are all closed, by the way. <laughs> but like I know here in Atlanta, like you have what is it the like Lego Land? Is it oh, called yeah, Lego Land? yo Oh, uh, Alan, when you visit Atlanta, we'll take you to Legoland. But like you can go there, and they've got all the different kits, and I don't know what you call them, Alan, but just the the different packages that you can get where you can build stuff. but uh, how do they categorize these different things that you buy? Like when you buy say like uh, the Death Star, do they say that like this is a 2,000 piece uh, Lego set or like like is there a difficulty rating when it comes to some of those different models?
5: They have age ranges on the front of them, which I always find Uh. amusing, like how old you have to be to do them. (laughs) I tend to buy the 16 years plus sets uh, to make sure that they're a bit of a challenge. Um, But they do these range of modular buildings where you can actually build yourself a mini Lego city. And that's my dream one day is to Uh. build a Lego city. Uh, That's what I want to do.
0: Very cool. I know I've seen some uh, Frank Lloyd Wright kits where basically you can recreate some of his most uh, famous pieces of architecture that he's created like falling water like you can get that in lego form and build it and then have it slowly fall into the river uh, (laughs) over a matter of decades (laughs) (laughs) well alan tell us about your overall view towards money and and how it was influenced by your upbringing you know in particular there's a story involving a, a suitcase of money that your that your dad brought home one day but uh yeah how did you view money as a child
5: Yeah, money was heavily influenced by my family. We had a huge amount at one stage and then we had nothing at another stage. And my dad ran his own business. And I always remember in the early days, he came home one day with a giant suitcase of money after having done a deal. And my little brother and I, we were probably eight and six or maybe a bit younger. We sat in the lounge, and he tasked us with putting all of the notes the same way round so they were ready to be paid into the bank the next day. And there was like 100 grand in cash, and you had to put all the queen's heads the right way round. (laughs) Wow. Um, So it was kind of the experience, and he always had cash about until he went bankrupt. And he went bankrupt very significantly for uh, £3.6 million, so about £5 Dollars, And that was way back in Whoa. the 80s, 90s. That's uh, a massive amount of money back then. And we were then doing car boot sales or what would you call them? Like uh, yard sales mm. to ah. raise enough mm. money to be able to buy food for the week. Hmm. So my upbringing had a huge impact on the way I think of money and specifically my aversion to debt.
0: Sure. Yeah. It seemed like there was a very, maybe you had a very fluid view of money. You know, I mean, having experienced plenty of money, but then also having experienced not having enough, um, it was something that maybe, hopefully, that you had control over. But yeah, I'm I'm sure debt had a lot to do with that.
1: Yeah. And that always, like those childhood memories of money and what it was like, like how your parents talked about it and how they handled it and the things that you saw in front of your very eyes, like they impact us so heavily, Alan. So I got to think that that is just, left this massive imprint on, on the way you've moved forward in your adult life and how you handle money today.
5: Well, it's the beliefs that get repeated to you. Um, the things like money is the root of evil, all evil. Uh, a family member actually repeated to me that to me this week. And it's really interesting when you hear these beliefs that people have about what money is, especially as it's an inanimate object. And, If you want to really get a grasp of your finances, you need to change the way you think about it and what you believe about it. And money isn't the root of all evil. It's the things people do to get it or to hold on to it. And actually, when I've started to change my beliefs and the way I think about money, it's more regularly flowed into my life. And I now believe money is an amazing tool and you can do incredible things with money. So I look after it and I respect it. And it's quite a, high up my values list because it is an important tool, is an important resource and life is a lot more difficult without it.
1: Sure. Yeah, that's very true. Hey, uh, Alan, it seems like every entrepreneur and you are an entrepreneur to a T has some sort of like hustle story from their childhood that gave them kind of a taste of what it could be like to be their their very own boss. So what was your first... Entrepreneurial endeavor when you were a kid. Hmm.
5: My first one uh, was actually the best business model ever. My <laughs> mum would buy the ingredients for some food. I would make Mars bar cake, which I don't know if you ever had Mars bar cake. But you basically get Rice Krispies and then melt Mars bars and butter over it. It's ridiculously oh, yeah. indulgent. It's incredible. <laughs> uh, and then I would go and sell it at school, and I would keep all the profits. So I had a hundred percent profit because I didn't buy the ingredients, <laughs> and it was incredible, and I made money, um, and that carried on. And actually, when I was at college, which is sixteen to eighteen in England, I made more money in college than I did at my first jobs uh, wow. through side hustles selling stuff, um, and that led to realizing that actually you can make good money doing this stuff.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I like that. Though. I like how. I mean. I, I, there's certain lessons that I feel that we try to teach our kids, including was well, like, Well, you gotta pay back mommy and daddy for the supplies and all that, but there's something to be said about starting things off on a very positive foot. And 100% positive is a very positive uh, (laughs) foot to to start things (laughs) off on when you're trying to instill some of the lessons that you can teach your kids uh, with entrepreneurship, right? But, you know, so Alan, like, obviously, it seems that you were maybe, like, you're going to be an entrepreneur no matter what. You know, with your dad being in business, it sounds like uh, your parents encouraged that. But, like, in your opinion, do you think that everyone is is cut out to be an entrepreneur?
5: Well, I think it, like, So just for me, it wasn't guaranteed. My mum didn't want me to be an entrepreneur. My mum didn't want me to go, and neither did my granny. They both wanted me to get a straight job to follow that route. And I did for many years. And actually, from the ages of 23 to 28, I did the corporate job stuff. I just didn't fit in. Um, So I think it's interesting when you look at people's paths but entrepreneurship, uh, it's back to that question, are you born an entrepreneur? Can you learn it? I think there are beliefs and thought patterns that are installed in you as when you are young that will help you to be an entrepreneur. But I truly believe anyone can learn this stuff if they want to. And that thing that people say, I am not an entrepreneur. Well, like that's just because you haven't done it yet. Let's have a go. And then you can call yourself an entrepreneur and then you'll start to make progress. And I think it's learned skills.
1: There you go. So what typically then, Alan, stops people, in your opinion, from starting a business, starting that entrepreneurial endeavor uh, that they really would love to get going? But yeah, what's the thing holding them back typically? Well,
5: I'd love to know, Matt, Joel, do you think entrepreneurship is risky?
1: I I think most people would say that it is. But actually, I've come around over the years because I think I was ingrained to be less entrepreneurial minded, more nine to five work for someone else, and I've grown to see that actually that's pretty risky <laughs> putting all your eggs in one basket as opposed to maybe a more diversified basket of entrepreneurialism.
0: Yeah, I mean, and like you said, Alan, I think a lot of times the safe route is what's taught in the U.S. as as well as maybe the U.K. But you know, going to school, getting a degree, getting a safe, dependable job that seems to be kind of like the the slam dunk option for for most folks in entrepreneurship because it's not taught, uh, because starting your own business isn't taught, I feel that it is viewed as more risky, uh, because it's you know it's the it's the fear of the unknown essentially. And so when you're not taught something, there's reasons to be scared of something if you don't know how it works, you know? Like if you know nothing about electricity, you better not mess with electricity because you you know, you might kill yourself. (laughs) And so I think there can be times when people take that and they apply it to maybe entrepreneurship as well because they don't exactly know how it works and they think that they could potentially mess things up. But, but yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. but
5: <laughs> It does, and there's actually a lot there because you're right, the standard path is what gets taught. Go to school, get good grades. Go to college, get good grades. Get a good job, follow the job get a pet, get a house, prove you can't kill the pet before you have a kid, have kids, work for 50 years, retire at 65, 70, die. That's the standard plan for life. And anything outside that people consider risky, especially entrepreneurship. And it's predicated or based upon the belief that it takes money to make money. And nearly all entrepreneurship starts with Make a list of the stuff you need to start your business. Put a dollar or a pound amount against it and work out how much money you need to borrow to start up. And the whole thing is based on I need money to start. And if you're going into debt to launch a business, it is risky. It's highly risky, but it doesn't have to be that way. There are so many ways to start without ever going into debt. And if you start without debt, What you're risking is a little bit of time and energy, not dollars. And I think that's the distinction. You do have to take risk, but you can choose the type of risk. So you can choose whether it's risking time, energy, or money, or a combination of all three, and you get to decide which risk you take.
0: Yeah, so Alan, on that note, I mean, you're you're talking about traditional business plans, essentially, right? Um, And you've mentioned before how those business plans, like they're essentially worthless, you know, but every article that you ever read about starting a business, uh, like that lists that out as as one of the most necessary parts of getting the ball rolling. So you know, in your opinion, why don't these business plans actually work?
5: Well, I think there's a few reasons. Um, Number one is business plans are often written in isolation before you've even spoken to a customer. And people have these ideas and thoughts in their head. They put them on the paper, but they've never tried them in reality. My opinion is try it first and then afterwards, maybe you write out what you found out. And I did exactly this. I spent two weeks writing a business plan. It was beautiful, had coloured graphs. (laughs) It was a gorgeous document. I put it in the drawer and then I went to see a real life customer and I learned more in an hour's conversation with a real life customer than I did in two weeks of research on the Internet and writing a business plan. And basically they said to me, we don't want what you've written. Our problem is something else. And then I had a choice in that moment to either stick with my business plan or to quit and change and sell what the customer actually wanted. And so what I would say to you is before you write a business plan, before you do anything, go speak to a real customer. That's where the learning is. Um, but most people think you need to write the business plan. Then you need to take it to a bank uh, and borrow the money or you need to get the money from somewhere. And you just don't have to do that.
1: Yeah. Well, we want to hear all about, Alan, your are specific steps in how to start a business with zero dollars or zero pounds, depending on <laughs> which side of the, the the pond people are listening to this this episode on. But uh, there's one story that has stuck out to me that you've shared before. And I think that's a good kind of setup for us as we begin to then ask those questions about how the, the specific steps people can take. Uh, can you tell us about how you help the homeless man start a business? It's this kind of inspiring story that I think um, can help all of us see maybe the the hidden ways in which we have resources at our disposal that we just haven't even thought about.
5: So one of the very early pop-up business schools, one of the ways we teach people how to start a business with no debt is to sell what they've already got. So if you look around your house, you've probably got a load of old DVDs, old stuff board games who knows what it is we can sell that raise some money and use that to start the business and there was one guy in the audience who at the time was homeless and all he had was a backpack a old iPad with a cracked screen and the clothes he was wearing and he just looked at us and went well I don't have anything to sell and we were thinking well how can we help this guy raise some money to get going So we actually asked the question, do you know anyone who does have something that you could help sell? Uh, And he thought for a minute and he thought about some of his friends and he said, well, okay, I've got a couple of friends who do live in nice houses and they've got garages full of stuff that they don't use. We said to him, well, why don't you do a deal and help them to clear out their garages and sell off the stuff? and then keep a percentage of the profits. And that's what he did. And I think one of the things about entrepreneurship is there are so many opportunities if you get yourself into a resourceful state to look for them. And there's always something you can sell or something you can do to raise money to get to where you want to be. And there's a million businesses we could start straight away that you could do without debt, and it might not be your dream business to start with but it'll help you get to where you need to be.
0: Yeah, there's ways for us to be resourceful and scrappy, uh, even, yeah, even when we have very few contacts, even when we have very few resources uh, you know, to our own name. So, Alan, like Joel mentioned, we're going to talk more about the steps that we can take in order to, to get our businesses off the ground, and we'll get to those right after this break. <music>
1: Dot com slash how to money That's spelled K-A-C-H-A-V-A, and get 10% off your first order. That's kachav com slash how to money Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances.
0: For your extended 30-day free trial, go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day
1: free trial. We're back from the break. We're talking with Alan Donigan, and we're talking about starting a business, hopefully with no money so Alan uh, you've already given us I think you know an inspiring story there and we've already covered uh, some ground on the lack of a need for a traditional business plan in order to get started so if we don't need to write the business plan what is the first step in getting a business off the ground in your opinion
5: the first step I mean you need an idea you need a thought of what you're going to do and the question we actually ask at the pop-up business school is what do you enjoy doing What do you do where time vanishes? What do you enjoy spending your time on? And then let's figure out how to make money doing something you enjoy. Because if you enjoy doing it, when it gets tough and it will get tough at a certain point, that enjoyment is what keeps you coming back and makes you want to get up on a Monday morning and do it, even if it is hard sometimes. So we start with what do you enjoy? Then we start to think about what do people want? And actually, business is about fixing problems for customers. So if we can find what you enjoy and who needs that service that you can fix their problems and then we just go and sell it to them. And actually, if we were to say how our method is different to the traditional, the number one way is that we start with sales, but nearly all business training programs end with sales rather than starting with them. And Mm -hmm. I think the quickest way to learn is to get out there in front of a real customer and ask them if they want to buy what you do.
0: Yeah. So yeah, Alan, I mean, you're you're kind of mentioning that when we're talking about the business plan, you're pretty keen on selling before (laughs) you take, you know, some of these big boy business steps. And so can you talk more about that? Like, why are you all about skipping these other traditional business formation steps and starting with selling?
5: because you don't know if anyone wants it, whatever it is, you're planning, you don't <laughs> know if anyone viability wants it first, right? Yeah, absolutely. And this is actually what happens so many times. It's why so many entrepreneurs around the world have garages full of stuff. They can't sell because they bought a load of things. They've made a load of t-shirts. They have produced it before they've sold it. And then they find that no one actually wants it. I say, exa- do the exact opposite before you write the training course. Find someone who wants it before you produce the T-shirt, sell it from the design. Uh, Before you build anything, sell it first, then you know if someone wants it. But that kind of brings us to the question, why don't people sell first? Like what puts them off? And Matt and Joel, if I say to you the word salesman, (laughs) <laughs> what's the first word that comes to mind salesman shmarmy, <laughs> <laughs> shmarmy.
0: yeah like salesman in and of itself is just it's it, got it, a negative connotation yeah exactly and so even that the, the term itself has this uh negative uh Pushy. emotion kind of yeah. attached to it and so that yeah if you if you say salesman it's like oh i don't want to be that
5: <laughs> yeah and i'm there telling everyone to start a business you have to sell Exactly. And they have this instant reaction of yuck. I don't want to be schmarmy. I don't want to be pushy. I don't want to have a, sh- a a shiny suit. I don't want to sell used cars. Like, get away from me, sales. And it's really interesting. I've run that exact exercise in Africa, in America, in England, all around the world, and it's the same reaction to sales. Mm. They think it is pushing something on someone. So the first step is actually to realise sales is about finding someone with a problem that you can fix. So what I would do is I would identify how my service or product makes someone else's life better. And then I would go around asking people if they have the problem that I fix. And if they do, that's when I can pitch them the product or service. Sales is not about pushing stuff on people. Sales is actually the process of making the world a better place. And if you look at it like that, you suddenly get inspired to go out there and sell more Hmm. because every time you sell, you make someone else's life a little bit better and you get slightly wealthier.
1: Yeah, I dig that. So I think, yeah, we need a, a sea change maybe in, in just kind of our mindset about what sales means. And, and I think that's a good reframe. Uh, so uh, yeah, another piece of traditional advice, Alan, is that people need to take on debt in order to get things off the ground. In order to get the business started, you need the seed money. And, and you know this, this whole episode, really, this is like the crux of what we want to get at. Why is it so bad to start a business with debt, Uh, getting a loan from a bank, borrowing from friends and family, all the many ways in which people actually start a business? Why, in in your opinion, is that just a terrible way to go about it?
5: Well, I think mostly it's a terrible way to go about it because people spend that money that they borrow from friends, family, or the bank instantly. And they tend to spend it on stuff they don't actually need. They buy a fancy new laptop, they get some offices. I know what I'll print a thousand business cards with my new logo so that I can feel special (laughs) and they buy a load of stuff they don't actually need to launch the business. And if you just started it, starting it with no debt forces you to be creative. And it means if it does go wrong and you don't enjoy running it, then you're not in the hole, you don't have to clamber back out. And I know so many people who've borrowed money to build businesses, they've done it for a year, realize they didn't enjoy it, and then they have to go and get a job to pay back the loan they've got. And why bother? Why bother doing any of that if you don't have to?
0: Yeah, and I I've got to think that the risks involved with starting your own business these days, you know, with just the pandemic, the coronavirus, um, I feel like the the risks that are inherent with entrepreneurship are actually even maybe a little bit larger. And so, like, it would make sense that going into debts during these times for something uh, like your own business would be an even even worse move, right?
5: I just don't. It's entirely at this time in uncertain times, things are moving quickly and you just don't know what would work. And well, let me give a clear example. Let's say you were building a product. Let's say the three of us were going to design a new board game. We could have a lot of fun. You're down with it. We love board games, yeah. Me too. I'm a huge fan. Let's say we design this board game. It's a finance board game or whatever it is. It has you and I faces on the little models as they move (laughs) around. And we build businesses and we do all sorts of crazy stuff. We design this board game. Now, what most people do traditionally is they go, well, I need 10 grand to be able to do the first print run to get all of these board games printed, and then I will sell them. And that is the traditional model is you create first and sell second. But the world changed many years ago and you just don't have to do that. And actually, most board game manufacturers now realize this and they run Kickstarters or they reach out to the audience and they put up the designs. They show the pictures. They haven't built it. They've just got a sample and they've got some designs and they sell it through a Kickstarter campaign or something else. They bring the money in first and then they use the customer's money to print the first order to be able to fulfill the orders. That's selling your value before you create it. And that's one of the most critical things. You've got to sell first and then create second. We can design it and we can prove it works and we can show them the pictures. That's time and energy, but we don't have to risk money. And there are so many ways. I mean, you, you, the three of us, we could knock up a free website in a couple of hours. We could come up with the ideas for the game. We could sketch out first board. Uh, I'm sure one of us has got a friend somewhere. That's a graphics designer that could help us put it and make it look pretty. Uh, we could get that out and put a buy now button and see if anyone buys, mm-hmm. then we've got no risk.
0: Right. So so that's how, right? Like that's how you are able to go about starting your business without debt. Like what are some uh, like other ways where you can uh, start your own small business without any money, without actually going into debt? Do you have uh, some other examples?
5: Yes, absolutely. And I guess the first question is it depends whether you're selling a product or a service. Service-based industries tend to be a lot easier. Let me give you one example. There's a fabulous business in Reading in the UK that we helped start up in the early days. They're called Time Trap Escape Rooms. And you might be thinking, well, how do you start an escape room with no money? That's quite difficult because you need a building. And the way this couple did it, their names are Katie and Andrew, and they wanted to get a building to set up their escape room. And following our course, they decided to go round and try and borrow a space. So they went into the local town. They went to every restaurant, every hotel, and they told them what they were trying to do and asked if they had any spare space. They got rejected time and time again for the entire day until it was right at the end of the day and they were walking back towards the car. And as they were walking back towards the car to drive home, they saw one last hotel and you cannot make this stuff up. The hotel was called Great Expectations, (laughs) (laughs) and they walked into Great Expectations. Uh, They made friends with the guy behind the bar and the manager. They pitched their vision, said what they wanted to do. And he actually said, well, we've got this spare room at the front. We don't really know what to do with. You can have it, borrow it, set it up. That will bring people into the hotel to buy drinks and to buy food. You definitely need a drink after the escape room. They can send you (laughs) a craft beer and they borrowed that space. I think they spent about a thousand pounds setting up the space. So they did spend a little bit of money, but compared to what it would traditionally cost to set up an escape room, it was nothing. And they built the escape room. They pre-sold the tickets on the website. So they had people booked in for when they were opening. And in that first six-week run, they made enough money to put the deposit down on their permanent space.
1: Wow, that's great. awesome. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, and that's outside of the box thinking, right? That that most people are like, oh, I just got to find this fancy space and I got to sign a 12-month lease or something like that in order to get the ball rolling. And and this couple was like, now we're going to take a completely different approach and and find somebody that has extra space. That's brilliant, man. I love that. Especially
5: given retail at the moment sure. You go into the shopping mall and there's empty spaces everywhere. There's shops everywhere. There's underutilized spaces. I mean, get out into your town and have a look round. It's unbelievable what is free and empty. And let's see if we can borrow it rather than pay for it.
1: Yeah. And if you can add value to someone else's business by starting your own business, by bringing foot traffic in their door, that's clutch. That's a win-win for everybody, right? Um, Absolutely. So Alan, what if a business owner or a wannabe business owner has money in the bank are you just railing against or are you just against people taking on debt in order to start a business or do you think individuals should be incredibly cautious even with their own funds that they're sinking into the the initial startup and and launch phase of a business that they that they want to open
5: i think that using money is quite often a way around you're trying to skip the steps you need to go through to make it a successful business you throw some money in to try and get further quicker and that has risk to it and actually what we found is if you take the steps you have to go through to get there you get the learnings you need to make it a successful business on the way so if you run a six-week pop-up for your escape room you will learn a huge amount of that so that when you do have the permanent space that you've paid for you've already got the learning and you know what works and you know what doesn't and it makes it inherently less risky so i would say even if you've got cash in the bank don't skip the steps you need to because it will give you incredible learning and the other thing is If you say, well, okay, how do I launch this with as little money as possible? You have to get creative. And it's when you get creative, you start to come up with ideas that are out of the box that will really make a difference to your business. If you just throw your money out of it at it and do exactly the same thing everyone else does, you're not going to stand out.
0: You know what I keep hearing you say, Alan, is that like it seems that when you get financing lined up, right, when you have a bunch of money set aside for the business that you spend it, like you said a little bit ago, that you just you spend it all up front on things that you don't need, uh, on things that you've heard might be a good idea to, to spend money on, but it's not necessary in order to achieve what it is that you're looking to achieve. In the same way, and I think you've mentioned this before, but it, like that's how we treat our personal finances as well. You know, When it's your own money, when it feels like it's yours, and, and you have a spot for that money to go, like you're not just spending that money because you have it. You're, you're still trying to be creative, be resourceful, making sure that you getting the best deal, you're, you're not just spending money because it's just sitting there, right?
5: Well, absolutely, and I think it's exactly the same thing with personal finance as it is with business. You try and reduce your expenditure, you try and maximize the amount of coming in, and then with the difference in between, you invest it for the future to create a return. And I don't care whether it's a business or personal finance, same rules apply. And if you do that, you can have an incredibly successful personal finance or an incredibly successful business, either one. And I run both my personal finances, or Katie and I, sorry, because we do it together, that's my wife, we run both our personal finances and our businesses in exactly the same way.
1: I love it, man. All right, we got a few more questions for you, Alan, including we wanna know about how you offer your services for free, like what's your business model? We'll get to those questions (laughs) right after the break. Dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10% off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money asking the right questions can greatly impact your future especially when it comes to your finances
0: Go to monarchmoney.com/howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. All right, Joel, we are back from the break, and we're we're talking about starting a business with no debt, and we're speaking with Alan Donigan. Alan, let's kind of like dive into the mind a little bit. Uh, let's talk about mindset. What do you feel are the biggest like mindset shifts? That potential entrepreneurs need to foster uh, and develop within themselves in in order to be successful, right? In order for their businesses to succeed. You know, like is it just like clocking in at a factory (laughs) from nine to five, or is it a little bit different?
5: (laughs) Everything changes when you run your own business. And I think the most exciting thing about starting your own business is you are your own boss, you get to decide what you do every day. Uh, But that's also the scariest thing (laughs) because there's no one telling you what to do. You've got to make that stuff up. And I think that's a real big shift because every day you wake up and there is a blank canvas in front of you and you have to make it up. You've got to make up the marketing message. You've got to make up what sales you're going to do. You've got to make up. You've got to create it all out of nothing. And I think that's the hardest shift that I went through, that my business partner went through, that everyone I know goes through when they leave doing a traditional job or a traditional business and start their own thing. They just sit there on their own, wondering what do I do? And if I could say one thing to your audience is the cheesiest expression ever, but it sticks with me, (laughs) Um, if it's to be, it's up to me Hmm. and That I have rammed into my brain (laughs) as hard as possible, because no one else is going to make things happen. You have to make them happen. And I'm always amazed that turning up at meetings on time, making phone calls, making things happen every day, that's actually not a common thing. People just don't seem to make things happen. And there are that learning that you've got to do it every day. You've got to set the appointments. You've got to drive for it to happen. You have to ask the question. You have to say, when are we going to do this podcast? When are we going to record it? When are we going to sell it? What are we going to do? And that drive, the drive has to come from within you. And if you're not someone who's motivated from the inside, then do not start a business. Go get a job.
1: So, all right, let's say I have the inkling to start a business, but I'm I'm a little nervous about kind of doing that and having the blank canvas. Uh, do you have any advice for people who are not sure how to structure their days if there isn't kind of built-in structure for them? Uh, because, you know, that th- there is that structure when I go to a nine-to-five, but it's all up to me to create the structure when it's my business then.
5: It is completely up to you. You get to decide which... Uh... Is terrifying and exciting in equal measures um, I would so when you're first starting my thoughts are structure it as a mini experiment with some key items that you're gonna do so let's take the board game example Matt and Joel we're all setting this up together uh, and then I would define what are the key steps number one design prototype and test Once I've got a tested prototype, number two, I'd get the graphics design done and I'd try and find someone to do that with me. Uh, Number three, put it out on a Kickstarter. Number four, promote it. So I would share it with board games enthusiasts. I'd find them the groups on Facebook. I'd reach out on Instagram. There's so many ways to find those people and bring them to your page. And that is my mini experiment is design it, put it out there, see if anyone buys. And I'd give myself, I don't know, X amount of time for each of those blocks. I would get it done and I would see if I could launch it. And it's having those clearly defined markers and knowing when you're going to get things done by that enable you to do it. And if it's a mini experiment, you're committing to two or three weeks or whatever it is that allows you to do the experiment and to see if you get any results. If you get good results and people have bought, then maybe you push in harder and keep going. If you get bad results and our board game fails and no one buys it, we will pretend it didn't happen and we'll come up with a new idea quickly. (laughs) Uh, and no one will ever know the wiser and we'll have another go. And I think I would, Set myself those experiments to know I'm going to do it for X period of time. I'm going to test it. I'm going to see it. And then I'll work out if the mini experiment has worked or not, whether I want to press on and keep going. And I think that way you've made your blank canvas a little bit smaller and it's easier to fill it up.
0: I love those actionable mini steps, essentially, that you can take in
1: order to, to make sure that it actually gets done. And the time frame, right? Which yeah. is huge to give yourself a deadline, essentially. Like, and Even if it's just artificially imposed by you, which it's mm-hmm. going to have to be, typically.
5: Well, commit to it online. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is always one of the tricks. People will do more for other people than they will for themselves. So if you haven't mm-hmm. announced, you will have the prototype done by X date you're more likely to let yourself off the hook than if you've committed to other people sure so i yeah, there's always no accountability say,
0: unless you've brought others on board right
5: exactly exactly so i'd be saying to you matt and joel i will have it back by x date uh, and if i have promised you i'm likely to do it if i've promised myself and haven't told anyone i might be nicer to myself than i would be <laughs> to other people good point um yeah so commit
0: Totally. Well, Alan. So, Joel hinted at this uh, earlier, but your business, the Pop Up Business School, like it, it teaches you know folks how to start their own business, but you do it for free. You know, you don't charge people who attend. So, can you tell us about? like your business model because uh, that's actually a kind of a unique business model when you're offering <laughs> the product or the service <laughs> free of charge how are you making that work we're going to get a little meta here let
1: me guess 50 percent of future profits for any business that gets created
0: because of pop-up <laughs> business school basically it's like shark tank uh- <laughs>
5: <laughs> that's actually a good idea and we've thought about that for yeah, a long time it's, it's an equity um but the Downside to that business model is it makes me pick and choose the people who come to pop up business Hmm. school because I would only back the winners. And that's actually the model that a lot of incubators and different places use. And they pick who they think will be most successful. And I always wanted the pop up business school to be open to anyone. I don't care where you're from, what your background is, who you are. You should have the opportunity to build a business doing something you enjoy and make money without debt, and I want to help you. So like that business model comes with some biases. Uh, So what we did was completely different. We decided we would go and find sponsors for our workshops. And then we would give them away free to the communities that need it the most. And we get councils like some of our sponsors are Westminster city council from London. Uh Uh, We've had housing authorities. The one in Houston was run by Houston housing authority. We've had housing associations in England. We've had corporate sponsors. So we've had construction companies and Microsoft sponsored a couple and they pay for the workshops And then we give them away free to the people who need it the most. So in eight years of doing this, no one has ever paid to come on our events. And I always wanted the best entrepreneurial education available to be free for everyone.
1: That's killer, man. I love it. That's so good. And I love the bias to make sure that anybody can get the training to start a business. Because you're right. It, so much in our society is catered to the people with the great idea, with the leg up. And and so, yeah, saying no matter where you're at, you can start a business and helping those folks get off the ground is, is awesome. And I love that. I love your passion for that. So, all right, one final question here for you, Alan. Like, what what about leaving your day job in order to go all in on a business you've started? How do you know that it's time to leave your nine to five in order to actually make your, your business that you've started the full-time thing? A lot of people aren't sure, like whether they should be quitting their job in order to start a business, whether it should be a side hustle. And then if it is a side hustle, like how long until it's the main thing?
5: Cool. So I think... Number one is run a mini experiment on the side. Give yourself two, three weeks a month. Do a mini experiment. See if anyone buys and do it in your spare time alongside your job. And how I would evaluate the mini experiment is on three criteria. So criteria one is did you enjoy doing it? This is critical. Uh, You run the mini experiment. Did you have fun? Did you enjoy it? If no, don't continue it because you know, it's not going to work for you. Number two, did your customers enjoy it? Did you get good feedback? Did you sell anything? Did you did you bring in some money? Did people tell you it was awesome? Because that will tell you whether you can get more customers in the future. And number three is did you make any money? I mean, maybe for the mini experiment, you just want to break even. But Is there an opportunity here? Did you make some cash? Do you think you'll make cash in the future doing it? And I think if you've got those three things in line and you're probably your first mini experiment or two will fail. I know my first few businesses absolutely failed and that's okay. Especially if you're doing it without debt. Mm
1: -hmm.
5: Well, then you just go, well, never mind, It didn't work. I'll try Mm -hmm. again.
1: I guess that's, that's a good point. It makes it so much easier also to abandon a business that isn't working. Whereas if you've sunk a lot of cash in, you might be going after that business and chasing it and chasing results for way too long.
5: Yeah. Which brings us to sunk cost fallacy, which is where you put 50 grand in in a year of your life and it's not working, but you can't give up because you've sunk so much into it. Whereas if you've done a mini experiment for three weeks and all you've got on the line is a bit of time and energy then you're easier to let go and get on to the next idea. And in 90% of occasions, your first idea is not your best idea. And you need to go through a few ideas to get to one that will actually work.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is such a great way to approach entrepreneurship and starting your own business, right? I mean, like, it's just, it's safer. Uh, but it's just smarter as well right like so not only are you sidestepping the the risks associated with taking on loads of debt, but just the way you're talking about it it makes it sound so attainable And I, I think that's kind of change in mindset is is one of the biggest things that needs to happen like Joel, you said like a sea change needs to happen. I, I think folks need to see entrepreneurship, not as this giant audacious thing to, to kind of tackle like this, this giant monster, but it's just this little pest, you know, like, and, and it, it's this little problem that like, okay, if I kind of apply some energy towards it, this is something that I can fix or this is a problem that can be solved and, and hopefully this can make, you know, individuals lives better. I think by kind of reducing in their mind how big of a problem it is to start your own business, I think we could see a lot more small businesses take off. And, you know, and we certainly appreciate your approach, right? And and how you view entrepreneurship. Where can uh, listeners, where can they find more information about you, as well as more information about starting their own small business?
5: Of course. Thank you, Matt and Joel. Um, So if they want to find out more about the pop up business school, just Google pop up business school. We're the only thing that shows up. And there are free online events because of the current situation. We've had to move online that will be coming up around the world in different places and they can tune into one of those. I've launched a podcast called Rebel Entrepreneur which is all about building businesses with no money. So they can Google me and that. And we would love to help them start up and make their own money doing something they love.
1: Well, Alan, thanks so much for all you're doing to help other people start their own business and realize a dream in often cases. That's what's happening when people are starting a business. Solving a problem, realizing their own dreams. It's a beautiful thing, man. And we really appreciate your time in this conversation.
5: This has been a huge amount of fun and I'm serious next time I come to the States, you can, guys can crack out a craft beer. Or I'll get some Lego and let's design a board <laughs> game out of Lego and uh, let's try and sell it on Kickstarter. I am completely serious. I would love to do that. We could do a mini experiment.
0: I love it. Let's try it, man. I'm totally up for it. Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> awesome. Thanks again, Alan. Joel, man, what a fantastic conversation we just had with Alan again of the Pop-Up Business School, as well as the Rebel Entrepreneur podcast. Um, he just had a lot of great insights there and in, in basically like, like demystifying small business. I felt like that's a lot of what we uh, spend our time doing today. But uh, for you,
1: man, what was your big takeaway for our listeners? Man, it's tough to come up with just one. <laughs> because I felt like one major thing is it's easier than you think it is. And most people, yeah. it, they build it up in their minds and it becomes this big thing. And I think starting a business isn't really all that hard. But I think, too, the, the biggest takeaway for me was think about what resources you do have at your disposal. And Alan's example of the guy with only the clothes he's wearing and a backpack on his back and a busted iPad being able to start a business, being able to figure out some way to make money. And that is something that people need, right? People pay for companies to come pick up their trash or to declutter their homes. (laughs) And that's one of those things that you really don't need much money, if any money, to start that business. I just love the idea of everybody out there who wants to start a business, sitting down for a second, listing out their resources. It's easy to think about things in the negative context. What do I lack? What don't I have? I could come up with a long list pretty quickly, but what do you have? that can help you accelerate those business plans and actually get something off the ground quickly. quickly, you've got something. I guarantee it. And I think his example really hit home that everybody's got something that they should be considering uh, in order to start that business. Yeah. You're kind of a a glass half full of beer kind of guy, (laughs) not (laughs) a glass half empty. (laughs) Yeah. So think about what resources you do have. And I think when you sit down and write that list, you'll realize, oh, wait, I can start something and it's easier than I otherwise thought it would be.
0: Nice man, I dig that. Uh, My big takeaway was when he was talking about sales. You know, he was like, we we both shared our immediate knee jerk reaction towards the word salesman, uh, salesperson. But one of the things that he mentioned that that really stood out to me was that sales is truly uh, about making the world a better place. You're solving problems. And starting with that is just the smartest way of going about starting a business, right? Uh, Starting with the, the customer in mind, essentially, like by doing that, you are doing market research essentially, and you're determining the demand for your product, whether it's a service or an actual tangible product like a board game. When you can start from the standpoint of knowing that I'm either A, solving a problem or B, uh, filling a gap in the market, you know, where there is a demand for something, it's almost a surefire way to ensure your success because people are looking for a solution. You just need to step up and provide it.
1: Yeah, I agree. Sales isn't necessarily about being pushy, but it's about delivering something to someone that's going to help them. And then they'll gladly pay you money for it, (laughs) right? (laughs) Exactly. So, all right, Matt, let's get back to the beer that we had on the show. Today we drank a beer uh, by Little Cottage. It's called Cookies and Cream. And it's a nice stout brewed by our friend, John, who has a little microbrewery. So Matt, what are your thoughts on this beer, man?
0: Man, I would describe this beer as very luxurious. (laughs) It was dark and sweet, Uh, obviously it was a stout, so it had some sugars going on there, but as well as those dark, robust flavors. um, and it was called cookies and cream. And so it definitely had kind of like a vanilla creaminess going on that you would expect from a stout like this. It was really good. Almost sort of like a
1: like a dessert beer that like sticks to your bones a little bit, you know? Yeah, the pastry stouts. They're so hot yes, right now. there you go. <laughs> and this would probably fit into that category a little bit. I, I'm partial to some cookies and cream ice cream from time to time. So cookies and cream on my beer? Yes, please. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I really like this one. And big props to our friend John for making such a delicious beer. Not too sweet. Sometimes those pastry stouts can be a little sugary sweet too cloying for me this was dark and thick um, but also with some of those notes of cream and cookies and so yeah i really dug it yeah it had a nice balance so joel that's going
0: to be it for this episode our listeners can find our show notes up on our website at howtomoney.com and we'll make sure to, to link to some of alan's resources as well
1: Yeah, and if you've been listening to How to Money for a little while and you've enjoyed it, you've gotten value from it, you've learned things, you've saved money, Well, we would appreciate uh, a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us get the message out there to more and more people. And that's what we want to do. We want to help people, give them the resources to start a business or to cut back in their personal finances and save more of what they're making or make more, right? All those kind of things. So that's what we're about here on the show. All right, Matt, that's going to do it for this episode. Until next time. Best friends out. Best friends out.